Blog Talk Radio. It is 9.30, and you are listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. Today is Tuesday, March the 22nd, 2011. Welcome to the really big show. Yellow! Yellow! Welcome to the show. My name is Steve Sampietro. I am one of your co-hosts for this radio program slash podcast. And uh, let's get right to it. We have a ton to talk about. We're going we're gonna to converse about the world of sports and uh, let's do this. Let's get going. Let's bring in the other uh, two folks that I will be conversing with. The first one, he's been away for a couple of weeks. He was doing some talks. He's like a big star now. Let's bring in Dr. E. Ray Stat. Welcome, Evan Raymond Eisenberg. Hello. Uh-oh, we don't have Dr. E. Ray. Where is he? Maybe he's muted. He might be muted. Take it off mute, Dr. E. Ray. Take it on the run, baby. <laughs> well, that that leads us to my other co-host, the inevitable, the unbelievable, the delicious, Brian Calniva Caliente Calpino. Calvi, what's up, dude? What's going on, Steve? <laughs> try, try to contain your excitement, Cal. Let's, can, we, can we try bringing Dr. E. Ray back in? I would love to bring Dr. E. Ray back in. Let's do this again. Ladies and gentlemen. Take it from the top, please. Let's, let's go back. Everybody back to one, please. Everybody back to one. Speed and rolling. Yellow. Let's bring in Dr. Dr. E. Ray. Stat, the producer extraordinaire, the fla-fla-flunky. Hi, Dr. E. Ray. How are you guys E-Ray? doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good man, it's it's uh it's, seriously Ev, it's awesome to have you back on the big program. You will be providing the delicious and nutritious statistics. And also we have a screener because last week we had a call, Ev. Wow. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> we knew we Cal, we knew precisely what to do. Now. I meant I meant we knew exactly what to do. That's correct. Uh how's your week going, fellas? Pretty good. Solid, great. Awesome. He's not the best color man in the game for nothing. Thanks, Monty. <laughs> How about you, Cal? What's been going on, man? A lot of tournament, NCAA madness. We're going to talk to Hubie again. Last week, Hubie uh, completely educated us on the NCAA tournament. What did you think? I know St. John's lost. I'm sorry. Yeah, they did lose. That's let's, it? Yeah, let's move on. Wow, Cal just went uh, <laughs> Forrest Gump on us, Dr. E. Ray. That's all I have to say about that. Well, you know what? Yeah, I, I I'm, sensing, ten- I'm sensing he's still, built, still a little bitter. Yeah. I'm a little I'm a little bitter because I waited ten years for that horrific performance. <laughs> we were texting back and forth during that game, Doctor Ray. Not a happy cow. No. 
Not happening. Not at all. No. He ga- he gave up on the game thirteen times. I did. <laughs> I kept getting texts like every two minutes, like, "Oh, that's it. I'm going to bed." Good night. And then four minutes later, I'd be like, "Still up?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, I am." Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll be talking about uh, the NCAA tournament with our buddy NCAA junkie Mike Huber. Uh, we decided he's a junkie, Cal. Is he? Was he okay with that? He's good with it. He's he, good he with li- it. You know, he liked it at first, and then the more he thought about it, he was a little, uh, <laughs> a little hesitant to go with junkie. Maybe we should go with NCAA Alki. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No good. No. All right. Well, the number to call a little later on in the show is four two four two two zero eighteen seventeen. We'll also be joined, uh, Cal, by our buddy Caught Looking, aka yeah. Maddie, uh, from know- from Metzilla dot com, Cal. Yeah, baseball season is right around, literally right around the corner. It's 10 days from today. Literally. I went down to the corner of 39th. I looked. Baseball season. Yeah, Mr. Met was standing on the corner. <laughs> That's correct. Mr. Met was in my neighborhood. Waving. People called the police because, let's face it, Mr. Met looks creepy if he's just walking around your neighborhood. <laughs> uh, no, so we'll, we'll talk to, uh, to Maddie, to caught looking from Metzilla.com, and uh, a little later on in the show about the release of Luis Castillo, but Cal, the big unload, as it were, that we wanted to talk about is the Knicks. I, I'll do it. I'll talk about the Knicks. Dr. E. Ray sent us an article. I think it was a blog entry, Dr. E. Ray, correct? It was a blog entry from Newsday? Yeah. Yeah, he sent us a blog entry from Newsday that talked about how the Knicks are in trouble already. This was before the Boston game uh, last night uh, with Carmelo Anthony. Now, Cal, uh, you've watched a little bit more of this great experiment than I have, and Dr. Ray has certainly watched more than both of us. Uh, what's going on here? I, I mean, people in New York are declaring this trade a, a failure. It'll never work. Dan, D'Antoni's had to change the system, blah, 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 cow. What gives? Is Mello, uh, is the honeymoon over or what? It, it sure feels like it. I mean, New York is, is notorious for turning on people practically immediately. And, and Mike Piazza comes to mind right away. Mike right. Piazza was traded here. He was hailed as a hero. And within two weeks, they were booing him out of Shea Stadium. So I, I, I don't think that the New York fan is necessarily very fair with, um, with new players coming in. Now, that being said, Carmelo Anthony has certainly not uh, acquitted himself well in his short time here. Well, I, I think there's a couple of problems at play here. I think New York fans uh, fall in love with guys that they draft. So there was a lot of love for Danilo Gallinari. Uh, there was a, uh, you know, they, they became fan favorites. It's just, it's the David Lee syndrome, right? I mean, David Lee is a good player, but he became a beloved player with the Knicks because he was drafted, he was homegrown, he worked hard, blah 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 blah. So you have a little of that at play, and I think people also. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but people expected the Knicks to be fantastic. Yes. Almost immediately, as you yes. said, Cal, there's, there, there is no honeymoon period in New York. And, Dr. Ira, you were making the point they're worse. They're a worse team. I don't know if they're worse, but they're, they're, they have an improvement. I mean, they're 7-9, and Melo came over, and their numbers are almost identical, except they give up a little more uh, you know, points per game now that he's there, because obviously he doesn't play defense, neither does the rest of the team. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if they're better. Melo basically said this week that like this may take all year to figure it out. He said we need to maybe think about next year. I mean, he basically said that. Right, which is 
what you never want to hear. And, and Dr. Ray, you're breaking up a little bit. So uh, call us on the Skype and we'll, we'll, we'll do it all in one room. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it shouldn't uh, – Carmelo comes out and says it's going to take till next year. Well, you're part of the problem right off the bat because now all of a sudden this team has slowed down to some sort of half-court offense that even I can see it. I watch like two games and even I can see it. You know, they're not playing within D'Antoni's flow. Uh, Stoudemire comes out and says you got to get with the program after the 39 – what was it, 33-9? to nine, They got outscored in the first uh, quarter against, against the Bucks. The yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's already blowing up in their face, and, and it's completely exasperated by the fact that it's New York, Cal. I, I think the guy, ah, he's got the selfish tag coming here, right? Yep. So is he ever going to shake that within 16 games? It's a, it's a mess. He's not going to shake it within 16 games, but what you don't like to see is that when things are going south for them right now, how they react. They're not facing adversity well. That's the thing that bothers me. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't see. And look, nobody loves the coach. I mean, that, that's that's not exactly a you know a, a mystery either. You know that everybody's been saying that he needs to get this amount of time or he should be in there next year. But Cal, can they make any sort of can can they put this together in the next couple of weeks? I mean, Chauncey Billis has been in and out of the lineup since he's been back in the lineup. They're one in five or one in four. Okay, they're like six and one uh, since the Carmelo trade against good teams. And they're like two and six against bad teams. Yeah. You know, they, they seem to be playing up to the level of competition. They're like a bad college team. You know, like an annoying college team. But they didn't play defense before the trade. Why is anybody surprised by this? I don't understand. I don't nobody should be surprised by the fact that they're not playing defense. I think I think the issue is that, like you said, they expected the Knicks to be serious contenders the minute Carmelo Anthony walked into to Madison Square Garden. And that's an unrealistic expectation. I think him talking about waiting till next year is actually the way everybody should be approaching this. Now, you don't want to hear your star player say that, but that's actually a more realistic approach to, to this team developing. Uh, E-Ray, has he changed? Has he had to change the entire offense for him? I think he has. I really do. I, 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 mean, I, I mean, I think basically, you know, they, they, they start off with the seven seconds or less running gun type of offense, and if you look at a lot of their games now, a lot of their offense is basically Melo gets the ball isolated on one side, everyone clears out, and you let him do something, and it stagnates things. It takes away some of their, you know, their up temponess. But because you, you know they're not a post up team, they're not no. a good half court no. team right now. You know, so I think it takes away a lot of what they were doing before that was good, and they haven't figured out how to mesh things together yet. Look, he came in here with you know the reputation of being a selfish player. Obviously, he hasn't done anything to change that in the first three weeks he's been here. I guess it's been almost a month since he's made the trade. Can is there any redemption for this guy? I don't, I don't know, you know, the NBA well enough to know. And and also, he was in Denver for the first, you know, what five years of his career or whatever. Gorgeous. So the, <laughs> the Sunshine State. Oh, Denver. Uh, so you know, who heard from him? Who knew that he was doing these sort of things? The only interesting thing I know about the Nuggets. Other than the name always makes me laugh inexplicably. I don't know why. When somebody says you're a Nugget, congratulations, you're a Denver Nugget. Gee, thanks. I guess put them on the teams that I don't want to be drafted by. But um, is is that George Call is is quite the character, and I, I liked him in the '90s when he coached the Sonics. I, you know, I I didn't know that Melo had this much of a reputation as this much of a selfish player. Is there any way he sheds it? Yeah, 
win. That's it. Wow. He, if he if if he wins, nobody's going to care that he's a selfish player. It's pretty Cal, it's pretty it's, simple. Cal channeling his inner Adrian on that one. I was, I was just going to say Cal goes Adrian on it. Now we need to get Carmelo the win the win win Carmelo win T-shirt. Can you do something for me? <laughs> win. Are you are you about to act this out, Cal? I am. RTU Theater? Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Let's murder his lungs! <laughs> uh, look, I, I, they have uh, 12 games left, I guess. Uh, and they, they have a, a game coming up against the Magic or whatever. They're currently sitting in the 7th seed. Is there any way, Ev, that they blow this playoff spot, Met-style, uh, 2008? I don't think they'll blow the playoff. Uh, but, I, I mean, the reality is, is that even with this stretch of not playing well and playing down to bad competition. Do you want to play this team in the playoffs? Let, let's be honest. You're, you're the Celtics or you're uh, the Bulls. Do you want to play a, one of the eight teams in the league that has two superstars on their, in their roster? I mean, come on. I'll answer you. I, if I'm the Celtics, I desperately want to play them. After what I saw last night in the last five minutes of that game, I desperately want to play them. You, because, you want to play a team that takes you to the wire every time you play them now and beats you up physically just like they beat us up? I don't I, think so. I, I think that Celtics team is yeah, they're, they're better. so exponentially better than them. A, and B, they know how to beat them, and they play no defense. Well, they they're play not no exponentially defense. better. They are. Um, just, just based on what they've done against them lately, they're not. Championship pedigree, the, the, the four players that they run out there with Rondo, who's a championship point guard, uh, the defense that they can play at any point in time. And also, they, they took the Knicks' best punch, and they look unfazed, unfazed last night. They were down, you know what, they were down 11, 12 points, seven minutes to go in the fourth. No problem. It was almost like they decided they were, okay, we're done messing with you now. We're going to actually go win the game. I, I, I'm sorry, if I'm the Celtics, I have absolutely no fear of them. Plus, they, they have no big men, and, they, and they, you know, Stoudemire uh, can't play the five. He's got to play the four. You got to use Carmelo at the three. Uh, the Celtics are a terrible matchup. Now, if I'm the Heat, oh, I'm yeah, fine. But, but right now, the Knicks will get the Bulls, correct? Yeah, yeah and the Bulls the, are in the two spot. The Bulls are actually. That's a sweep. Wow. That's, to me, that's a sweep because that 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 team plays defense. So to me, that's a sweep. You know, Chauncey Billups is not a good matchup with that. That's just uh, the Bulls. Nobody talks about the Bulls. Why is that? So any any team that plays defense um, is is a bad matchup for the Knicks. I mean that's crazy. I mean you if you have a team that all of a sudden can turn it on offensively now they haven't done it yet, but that's a team that's dangerous to anybody in the playoffs if they get hot. I'm not saying they're not a dangerous team, Ev. I I agree with that. They 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 are because they have two guys who can pour it in on any given night. Sure, but there are teams that are just not good matchups for them. You know, and the Bulls, I, I, I think the Bulls are tremendously underrated in the East. I think they're coming out of the East because they play defense every night. Scoring comes and goes. Defense can be there every night, especially in the playoffs. So is the best matchup for the Knicks then playing a team that has similar problems right now in the Heat? Yep, absolutely. To me, your best chance at a first-round victory if you're the Knicks is the Heat because they have, they have no big man. I mean, Francesa was saying it today, and, you know, the blowhard that he is, sometimes he's right. The Heat have no big man. You can play Stoudemire at the five. Uh, you can play Carmelo at the four. They have all sorts of matchup problems, you know, and, and they, they have the same problems. They're not deep at all. 
And if you and 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 to me, LeBron is a, a hit or miss playoff uh, player right now. But the bottom line, the other thing is, they got to get there. Let's let them get there. Well, they're gonna get there. I, you know, that's what we said about the '07 Mets, Cal. Uh, this is not the '07 Mets, Steve. How do we know? We know. Could be. There's seven. There's seven and a half games up with twelve games to go. What could possibly go wrong at this point, Steve? Come on. You should you should know way better than to say what could go wrong when it comes to a New York sports team. All right, so fine. They don't. Are they going to fall to the eight seed? Uh, they could they could fall to the eight seed. There's still a few. There's still about five games up on the eight seed too. But they could if they continue to play the way they're playing. I I just I I don't I again I've started just watching this team in fits and starts of late since they made the trade. Granted, they've become very interesting. But my my thing is they could lose by thirty points on any given night. Now they win by thirty points on any given night. Too. Right, but they but they they they've shown they can lose to anybody. I mean, have you said it the other day? Are they a worse team right now? I I think they're they're maybe a little bit worse just because they're. I think they had chemistry before, and they had guys that kind of knew their roles. And right now, I, I don't think anybody has any idea where what their role is. And Carmelo, you know, you know, basically, you know, storming around unhappy because he's not getting the ball on a fast break does not help things. There's no doubt about that. But no, I don't they're know trying if to I cater. I don't think they're worse talent-wise. I think they're probably the same or better because you're ad- you added a superstar. Uh, all right. That's fair. They, they they definitely have more talent. Look, nobody's ever going to argue with Carmelo Anthony being an elite scorer in the league, for sure. And on any given night, those two guys can fill it up for 30. Like they did against, who was it, the Mavericks or whatever? Where they had that ridiculous game where they scored like 135 points and won by 50 points. Uh, they can do that on any given night, granted. But... Look, it's not it's not it's not fair to expect this team to be at the heights that everybody expects them to after 16 games. They've revamped the entire team. I agree. You, you know, you can't expect them after 16 games to be where they need to be. Alan Alan Hahn, who wrote that article the other day, had a very good point. It took Raymond Felton about 15 games to get used to the pick and roll style. Right. They've played 16 games. Billups has missed how many of those? Uh, so six or seven, right? Yeah, so there's a, there are a lot of things that they need to do in order to gel as a team, and, and to expect them to do that this year. Now, Nav, you brought up a good point just now. If superstars turn it up in the playoffs, teams with superstars, do they turn it up in the playoffs? I think they do, and I think that Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony will be energized by the big stage of the playoffs in New York. I don't know if that's enough to overcome the, the gap in talent that they may have with whoever they face in the first round, but they're certainly going to make it interesting for whoever they play. I I, I agree with that. Ev, what did you want to throw in there? I'm sorry. No, I mean I I, I agree with Cal. I, I think that I think that superstars do turn it up in the playoffs, and I think there is a chance that they kind of go on a little mini run here because we talked early in the beginning about how it, we we all felt it was going to take two two weeks at least for them to put it together. You know, it's been a little more than two weeks now, and uh, you want to see something kind of turn now. The only problem, the only thing I'll add, Cal, is that the one thing you don't expect is to have a guy like Carmelo not seemingly not uh, be on the same page as the team. You know, like to kind of be sitting down during a, a, a timeout. You know what I mean? It, it's just not acceptable. No, it's not acceptable, but it's not. <laughs> Sorry, fellas. Go ahead. <laughs> just getting you be on the line. Go ahead. <laughs> Best producer in the business. Go ahead, Cal. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Well, that is just magnificent radio. This is I what happens. I thought that was one of your new so, uh, sound effects. There. <laughs> I, I thought that was you... the, let me interrupt Cal talking with the phone ringing. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, not what any of that was intended to be. I, I, I am sorry. But, Cal, you guys were finishing up about turning it on in the playoffs, and to finish it up on the Knicks, uh, go ahead. I, <clears throat> I, I don't know if that's possible. Cal, do you think that they actually can do that and get on a run? Or is no, it match yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they can get on the run this year, and I don't. And just go real quick, going back to what we were talking about, I don't think anybody should be surprised about Carmelo Anthony's act since he's been here with New York. And you can be surprised that it that it it happened, but you can't be surprised that that's who he is. You know what, Cal? I'm surprised. I'll tell you right now, really? I'm surprised because this guy begged out of Denver practically, and he didn't do it outwardly. He was very behind the scenes, but everyone knew he wanted out. And he wanted a fresh start, and he wanted to go to one team, New York. And you know what? It's been two weeks, and I don't want to see this stuff. I don't want to see him stomping wow. around or pouting. I want to see him change everything to be the guy for this team, and I don't see that right now. He got what he wanted, and then he didn't change, and that's what frustrates everybody about him. Everyone right. kind of figured he would, no? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But I he mean, is who he is. We also thought it might take you know more than ten minutes. For him to show that he's a completely selfish player, you know, and as you and, and and a selfish athlete, you know, and as you said, Ev, it it gets harder and harder as we get older and older to root for selfish athletes on our teams. Yeah. It just does. It, it gets harder and harder for the for you to root for a guy who doesn't see, you know, what he's actually what he actually has, you know. And and Carmelo Anthony, as we all know, is a wonderful talent. I, I'd like to see him work in New York. It should work. The one thing that's interesting here is that by holding the Knicks ransom here, uh, holding Denver ransom for ransom, he basically weakened the team he was being traded to. Okay, so right. he took away talent. You're telling me that you you can't do everything now at this point to just make it work? I don't know. Yeah, no, and and look at how Denver's playing. I mean, that's the other yeah. that's the other side of the coin. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they'll do that in the playoffs, but they 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 are playing magnificent basketball since they made the trade, and they're a deep team. They were a deep team before they traded them. And the whole other story about this, which, which drives me crazy, is that these professional athletes are so concerned about their image and the way people perceive them, yet they go in and they do these things like, like they don't care. And it, it just it doesn't, it doesn't match up with, with how they, how they, you know, what they believe in. Well, that's the thing, though, Cal. Exactly. It's so commonsensical to us. Why is right. it so commonsensical? And maybe, it's, maybe it's because Carmelo, said, uh, Carmelo Anthony has had – all this stuff handed to him all his life. He's been this popular athlete. He's, you know, played on the AAU teams. He's, he's come up, you know, Syracuse. He wins a national championship as a freshman, blah, blah, blah. And he's had, you know, again, we talked about it with LeBron. Like, you have so many people around you that you're not dealing with reality. But it seems so commonsensical no. to be like, you're, you have a, a fresh start, a clean slate. Just come to New York and be a good guy. It takes 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And and within those ten minutes, he showed himself to be a ridiculous prima donna. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely blame, right. I blame the schools in Denver. <laughs> Is that what oh, Mike that's Hampton? what Mike. Yeah. Mike Hampton. <laughs> but neither one of you guys could wait to get in on that joke. You guys could not wait. I set that one up for you nicely. Hey guys, uh, should we move on to the? That's enough with the Knicks now. Enough. Can't believe I talked that much regular season NBA basketball. Uh, but I, I watched, I watched the last seven or eight minutes of that game. In fact, when I flipped it on, they started to lose. I am the mush. I'm telling you, they give me my tickets ripped up at the track. Let's, uh, 
Let's bring Mike Hubie in. And uh, Hube. Steve-O. What's up, my friend? Mike Huber, our NCAA Alki, our NCAA, uh, I, I, NCAA like, junkhead. I also like the uh, ripping my tickets up at the track reference. It's a nice segue <laughs> to talk to me. <laughs> if there's a guy who's who, who knows all about being a moosh, a mooshad, it's uh, Mike <laughs> Huber. Hubie, what's up, dude? Welcome back to the show. Uh, Dr. E-Ray is with us. Uh, wow, as it's a full house, right? Full house. It is a full house. Uh, and uh, Dr. E-Ray is a huge, as you remember from last year, I'm sure, uh, huge NCAA guy. He was uh, he he was really upset he had to miss last week's show. You know, sometimes you have to do autograph signings and stuff. You're you're a big star. But uh, uh, you, right yes. off the bat, give us give us your impressions of round two, which is nonsense, and round three, also nonsense. Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> first of all, my brackets are mushad, as you say, uh, a mess, a bloodbath, um, but a lot of a lot of great basketball. And I think what you see is that um, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. And ultimately, I think what you'll see is the best teams are the ones that are in the Final Four. But when we talked about when we talked last week, we talked about parity, and I think when you see VCU getting into the Sweet 16, you see Marquette getting into the Sweet 16, you see Michigan giving Duke a run, um, you see all these games that were nail biters down to the end, um, and and high seeds winning out, Richmond getting into the Sweet 16, you see the parity. But I think the cream is going to rise to the top going forward here as many expected, to start the tournament, and you're probably going to see the favorites in two weekends, you know, in Houston. Hubie, just real quick, let's start with the Big East, because if someone told you last weekend that of the 11 teams from the Big East that were in the tournament, only two would make it out of the first weekend, and one of them would be Marquette, what would you you have said to that? I would have been more surprised about Marquette than the two, um, they had really? the, the brackets were set up such that Big East teams. There were four Big East teams that had to play each other. Um, you looked at the matchups, and you know you, you're seeing here. You're, you're seeing John's Redmen, Red Storm. Excuse my political <laughs> incorrectness. Uh, uh, you know they play a tough Gonzaga team. You know West Virginia. You know, wins the wins the first round game, but loses to Kentucky. I mean, there are a lot of tough matchups in there. The two teams being left doesn't surprise me. Marquette surprises me. I thought Syracuse would be the team that was left in that bracket, and I thought they would give Ohio State a run. Obviously, they're gone. Now you sort of clear the way for um, you know one of the one of the big boys to go through. Marquette's a scrappy team. Um, Buzz Williams, love them, uh, love the way Marquette plays. They're tough, but I think they're going to be they're going to be overwhelmed by the North Carolina size. They're they're just short on size, and I think they're going to have a tough time winning that game. But more surprised about the Marquette being there than the two teams being left. Hugh, we saw some, uh, you know, buzzer beaters early on. We were on our way to maybe like the first or, you know, a great first day. And then we had blowouts the whole night. 
uh, Thursday night. But uh, Butler, Hugh, we talked about Butler. And what, you know, they're back. They are back. You, you can't say enough about that team. I mean, they've, you know, I said it last week, they were under the radar. Um, they, they, you know, I, I've heard the comment this week that they, they lost to Young, Youngstown State, the Penguins, during the regular season. But the reality is is that we talked also, you guys raised the point and asked the question about, a, you know, having a great coach. And I, it didn't come up at the point. But Brad Stevens is probably, maybe besides Coach K, maybe one or two other guys, the best X's and O coach in the field. And he's wow. 35 years old. I mean, the guy knows how to put his team in situations to win. Uh, obviously, Sheldon Mack had a real stupid foul there. But, you know, Pitt gave it back, and they returned a favor. But they they beat Pitt up and down the floor for, you know, 35 of those 40 minutes. And, you know, it's because – not because they have superior talent, because they have a coach who knows how to combat the strengths and weaknesses of the teams that he's playing. And, you know, I think that, unfortunately, they're coming up against a team in Wisconsin that plays the same style as – the same kind of coach uh, who who is very cerebral, knows the X's and O's, and they have more athletes than 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 Butler does. That being said, can Butler win that game? Absolutely. But the, it, it, it's proven that a team like that that plays smart basketball, you know, a two seconds left foul aside, uh, can make a run because they understand how to how to play winning basketball. Hey, Hubie, this is uh, Dr. E right here. Staying in the Southeast Conference, you know, you got, you know, pretty much things wide open here now. Can a team like BYU with Jimmer Fredette, uh, just a phenomenal player here, can can they take it all the way to the Final Four? Do you, what do you see happening coming out of this conference, out of this, uh, this you know, division here? Well, I mean, you look at the four teams that are left, you've got really any one of them can win, I think, first of all. And to answer your question directly, I, I was actually, not to say that, that I didn't think BYU was a good team, but without Brandon Davies and the inside presence that he brought against Gonzaga, I, I thought they were going to have a real tough time, and they blew him out of the gym. And I think the bottom line is is that the best player left in this tournament, with all due respect to Kemba Walker, is Jimmer Fredette. And that gives them a chance to run the table here and get to the Final Four. Uh, do I think it's going to be easy? No. Florida's well-coached. They're deep. They're experienced. Um, I, I still think that the, the, the depth of Florida is going to give them problems. Florida runs guys off the bench, and they're starters on any other team in the Southeast Conference, but they're coming off the bench. I think that's going to give BYU problems. However, if if if, if Jimmer if, if, if Jimmer has another night like he did the other night, I, I think they can beat anybody. I really do, and I was skeptical, but I, I, I think they've got a shot to get to the Final Four. Yeah, I, I, I have Hubie. I have Jimmer fever. I've got it. <laughs> I want Jimmer. Jimmer mania. Jimmer mania running wild. Hey, Hubie, I want to ask you about my team. Huh? my little prediction there. The Richmond Spiders. Let's give it up for 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 Sam Pete. There, we completely <laughs> picking the team just because they're in the A10 and they beat the Flyers. No. Nope, they 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 take on Kansas. What do you think, you? My Richmond Spiders got a chance or what? Well, listen, I, I I think it's a tough matchup for them. I, I think 
the athletes, the athletes that Kansas is going to run at them, the size that Kansas runs at them is going to be really, really tough. That being said, Richmond shoots the three well, and they're well coached. And I sort of, you know, I thought about this a little bit. And the matchup that I thought about was Davidson a few years ago when they almost made it to the Final Four. And it escapes me, and I'm about to say it escapes me who they played, but when they had, they were Steph Curry. They were sort of a team that was, you know, they were double-digit seed, and no one was expecting them to do anything. That's what Richmond reminds me of. I mean, their players are not, are, are not as, as high-profile, but – but Justin Harper and Kevin Anderson, they're guys who, who play in an underrated conference. They play big-time competition in non-conference, and there's no fear there. So do they have a shot? Yeah, they have a shot. Do I think they're going to win? No. I think Kansas can overwhelm them. I think where they can beat them is in the mental aspect of the game. I mean, I think Kansas believes they can beat everybody on physical ability alone, and if they don't take care of the basketball and if they don't play smart, they can get beat, but I, I, I think it's going to be a tough task. I, yeah, I totally agree. I just love that they're there. And, and you know what? I'm so tired of Kansas. I'm just exhausted. Well, unfortunately, it's going to be more exhausting because they're in a bracket with a, a 10, an 11, and a 12 left. So, unfortunately, the chances are that they're going to be in the Final Four and you're going to have to hear all about it until, you know, the weekend of uh, April 2nd. Uh, now, speaking of the 10, 11, 12, VCU, a play, uh, play-in uh, game team, or round one as they're calling it. It's not round one, by the way. Uh, it's, uh, Simmons, Simmons was irate about this. I totally agree. It's not round one. I'm not calling it round one. They're playing games. Knock it off. Yep. Uh, but uh, VCU, Virginia, what? What the – wait, what? Well, listen, I mean, you know, they, they I, on paper, the argument was made that they don't belong, and clearly they play with that chip on their shoulder for two rounds. They're a good basketball team. I had them beating Georgetown in that round, um, and I, I didn't think that they would be able to hang with Purdue. Clearly, I was wrong about that. They, they're a team that's playing out of their mind right now, and you know what? They are they're reminiscent, you know, they're reminiscent of the George Mason, George Mason team from 2006. I mean, same conference, um, just just playing out of their minds basketball, and they could beat Florida State. I mean, I think what Florida State has going for them is that they are probably you know one of the five best defensive teams in the country. They shut down Notre Dame, and you know VCU's been shooting the lights out from three point range. I think that could end here. That being said, I, I think. From top to bottom, offense, defense, and and on the sidelines, I I think VCU is the better team, and I ultimately think that they'll win that game and play Kansas and and probably be you know at the end of the rope there. But uh, they they're a tremendous team, and I think that they were one that was taken lightly coming in just because they were a playing team and a bubble team that everybody discounted. Yeah. Now, Hugh, we, uh, just to wrap things up, let's uh, let's take a quick look at it and just get the final four predictions. Who do you like? Who do you like to be there at the end? Um, in the East, I like Ohio State. As much as it pains me to say that, uh, I thought Syracuse would be the team to take them down. I don't think Kentucky has enough experience, 
And, and, and quite frankly, I, I just don't think that they are the team that Ohio State is. Uh, a UNC-Ohio State matchup would be, would be fantastic. I think UNC's size would uh, give them some trouble, and it'll be a good game. But I think Ohio State's the team in there in the East. In the in the West, I'm gonna I'm gonna call for an upset. I'm gonna say even though they're the two seed, I'm gonna say San Diego State. And we have an East Coast Big East bias here. It's easy to think that UConn's gonna beat them, but they're 34 and two. They have a coach who's been there before in Steve Fisher, and they're loaded. They've got NBA prospects. They're loaded. They play great defense. And uh, I, I, quite frankly, I'm not sure Duke's gonna get past Arizona. So. I'll call for San Diego State in a, in a mild upset there in the West. Uh, Kansas in the Southwest, unfortunately, I think is is going to be uh, is going to be a walk. The Southeast, you know, as, as uh, Dr. E. Ray put, put, pointed out, and I think that's that's the bracket that's up for grabs. And if if I, if I had a call today, I'm going to say Wisconsin gets there. Um, oh wow! I, All right. I, I, I think that Butler is going to give them a run for their money, but. When you look at those four teams, okay, Jimmer Fredette's the best player, and he can get there. He can carry his team on their back. But if you look at a one-two punch, Jordan Taylor, who had a terrible game against Kansas State, and Lawyer are the two are the best one-two punch. And if you go to the sidelines, you've got Billy Donovan and you've got Bo Ryan and Stevens. I mean, it's tough. I think Wisconsin's yep. the team that gets out of there. And and ultimately, you know, I don't know if you want my picks now, but I, I think Kansas, unfortunately, as many oh, people would hate to admit it, they are the team to beat. They are oh, the team to beat. And I hope I hope to God I'm wrong because I, I don't like them either, but I think they're the team to beat. Although I will say this, I think Wisconsin is a team that can beat them just based on sheer basketball IQ. And they could sort of wear them down and turn the ball over on them and and sort of grind them down. But at the end of the day, I think Kansas is the best team left in the field. So you're saying there's a chance for Wisconsin? Well, there's a chance. There's always a chance. I mean, that's a good basketball team. I mean, athletically, they don't really match up with Kansas. But I think on the IQ, X's and O's, I, I think they can match up. And I'm not a huge Bill Self guy, so I would give – I'd give Bo Ryan the big edge there. Not to so, mention, the, he, gets a, he gets a huge name uh, name edge. Bo Ryan versus Bill Self. I'm thinking Bo, Bo Ryan. How could you go with how, how do you go wrong with Bo? Bill Self. What is that? What, what nationality is Bill Self? Anyone? Cal? <laughs> what nationality is he? Scotch Romanian, perhaps. Uh, Hugh, we're gonna Hugh, we're gonna run, but uh, uh, it's been a fun tournament so far. I think, right? Well, yeah, if you don't put too much stock in your brackets, it's been great. And uh, I think we've got some real great basketball. Let's hope let's hope the gym are still there in two weeks because, you know what, that's the guy you want to see in the Final Four. Yep, amen. All right, thanks, Hugh. We'll talk to you uh, next week. We'll check in uh, for the Final Four. All right, fellas. Take care. All right, our buddy Hubie checking in, and uh, he is uh, a delight. Dr. E. Ray. I, uh, I I believe uh, we we are going to move directly. Well, Hubie does a great job. Hubie's awesome. He's the best. He loves the NCAA, and I'm not going to lie to you. I believe he gambles on it quite a bit. Oh, don't say that. I don't want to give away any sort of trade secrets. Uh, wow. He... People listening to the show really have formed an opinion about Hubie, huh? 
<laughs> That's right. He's he's our he's our oh, NCAA junkie who has a gambling problem apparently. Uh, Hugh, we're just kidding. We know you're not a junkie or wow. a degenerate gambler. Degenerate is wow. a strong word. This kind of just snowballed on you, huh, Steve? <laughs> this just all went. Let's bring in our next guest. If he uh, if he wants to come on, uh, Cal. Uh, yeah. Yellow. Yeah. Something happened this week uh, that we've been waiting for forever. Well, two things happened. happened. Yeah, two things happened. And uh, in to well, talk about it, let's bring in uh, Caught Looking, our buddy Matty from Metzilla.com. Matty, Caught Looking. Hello, my friend. Hey, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Good, good, man. Uh, good to have you on the program. Uh, Caught Looking writes for uh, Metzilla.com. Uh, Vinny Carbone and the boys do a fantastic job over there. There's Scongeli, there's Mets. It's nice. It's like, uh, forget about it. What's, ah, yeah, forget about it. Doris is Scongeli. What's, uh, what's with the propensity of Italians writing for Metzilla.com? I don't know. It's something about the area. I don't know what it is. Us Italians, yeah. we're, we're gluttons for punishment. I don't know what it is. That's correct. That's for sure. Uh, 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 Matty, we haven't talked to you in quite a while. Uh, you're doing some great work over on Metzilla.com, but... We wanted to talk to you, buddy, because the dream has come true. It, it, it has finally happened. The uh, the cold front has come through and pushed out the Castillo black cloud. And it has gone down I-95. And it has wreaked havoc in two days. It As, uh, yes, yesterday, Ibanez's body found his way into Victorino's face. And, uh, you know, he just didn't show up today. So Castillo has done a fantastic job so far of bringing that black cloud that had been hovering over the bats for four years down I-95 to the Phillies. Because I'm telling you, if that team doesn't win the division, I'm a genius. And I blame everything <laughs> on Luis Castillo. Matt, you got, you got to love the fact that he's putting as much effort into trying to win a new job as he did to try to keep an old job. He hasn't done much of anything, has he? I mean, he didn't even really? show up on time today, right? Yeah, great work ethic. No, he's he's a fantastic player. He's not lazy. Uh, he's you know he puts his effort forth, and he's done everything he possibly can to win that job in Philly. You know, and the first thing you do on the first day of the new job is show up eight hours late, and that's <laughs> that's what I was told. Right. Well, speaking of <laughs> speaking of lazy, they they also released the other. Uh, an anthema, uh, the other symbol of utter failure, Oliver Perez, our good friend, Ali P. Yeah, here's, uh, here's my problem with the Oliver Perez bashing, and I think I might be the only person who gives him any oh, sympathy. No. The oh, guy boy. was good in 2006, and he was great in 2007. Great in 2007. Great. And okay in 2008. 2007... His ERA was mid threes. He was one of the best pitchers on the team. They didn't lose. They didn't lose their lead because of Oliver Perez that year. They lost their lead because of Luis Castillo and the black class. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is, he was a good pitcher for that team for a little over two years. The last two years have been so miserable that you can't give the guy a pass. And and that's where I where I fall in with every other Mets fan just saying. It's about freaking time they got rid of him. It wasn't worth the headache. It wasn't worth the constant questioning. And it seems like the team, at least from interviews post the release, don't seem to care. 
Like, it seems like everyone just seems a little more re- relaxed because they were tired of answering Perez questions. Well, yeah, but all right. First of all, though, I got to take you to task a little bit with this idea. I, I understand that he had a very solid 2007. Okay, I, and I understand he pitched big in, in Game Six or Game Seven of the 2006 NLCS. I mean, I understand that you don't want to give up on a 26-year-old lefty who has good stuff, and, and but he did not deserve the contract he got. Everybody knows it. And it was a panic move by Omar Manaya at the time, as you well know. So, so it was he did not deserve twelve million dollars a year for three years. He didn't deserve the well, contract he got. They overpaid for him because they panicked, and they were paying him on potential. And 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 it eventually, no doubt, got out of hand here. With the no, you know, absolutely, I, absolutely, and I and I completely agree. But let's be let's be honest here. I mean, I was as happy as anyone else that Omar delivered a team that was capable of winning to New York. But let's be reasonable here. Omar has a track record of finding guys that probably aren't as good as they play up to their as they play to and then signing them for unnecessary contracts. Let's talk about Jose Valentin, who's fantastic when Omar got him on that one year contract. Bringing him up for the next year, not such a good idea. Oliver Price he he great luck with them. I'm sorry? No, he pushed. He pushed his luck with those guys. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Is like you push. He's been pushing the envelope. He finds a guy that does well for him, and he automatically rewards him. And the bottom line is, a lot of these guys didn't deserve it. Castillo did not deserve it. Castillo didn't even play that well in in when they got him at the deadline. I mean, there's really no reason to believe if you're a Mets fan that Omar really did much besides saddle us with bad contracts. Yes. He made the team better than the shortcoming, but then he put us in some horrible positions. I think part of the venom, though, uh, Maddie, and th- that you're missing as far as Oliver Perez goes, and this was an interesting article that Andy Martino wrote about uh, last week about uh, Castillo, Castillo, right before he was released. Uh, you got me almost saying Castillo every time I say his name. But well, an interesting, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> interesting article right before he was released where Martino, in a sensationalistic, ridiculous article, talked about how it was probably, you know, maybe it was racist and, and because Castillo, uh, Castillo was a Latino and he tries hard and he plays injured and stuff, which, uh, you know, forgive me, I expect for $6 million a year. But the thing with Perez, Matty, is that he refused to take an assignment down to the minor leagues last year. That's why he gets the venom that he gets. Nobody says that Ali, you know, faults him for signing the contract that he signed. But Mets fans look at him and say, you, you wouldn't even accept a minor league assignment last year. You wouldn't take one for the team and go down. You're that selfish. So, of course, it's, I, 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 I did a bigger dance. I would say I did a more animated dance when Ali P was released because Castillo just didn't play up to his contract. He did try hard. I agree, I agree know? but the thing is, it's a bravado issue with Perez. And people are people have a tendency, and, and fans, myself included, have a tendency to get a little more pissed at the guy who, who just seems like he thinks a little too much of himself. But you know what? I don't blame him. Because the bottom line is, he was a free agent at a year that that contract was going to be offered to him by somebody, or at least a similar contract. And the bottom line there is, we gave it to him. I blame Omar. I blame Omar for giving him the contract. 
And at the end of the day, yeah, Perez, it's Perez's fault for not accepting the minor league, the minor league demotion, and it's his, it's his fault for not delivering, and it's his fault because his body's declining or whatever other issues he's got going on. At the end of the day, can you really blame him for taking what he got and and falling into a situation where he decided, I'm getting twelve paid twelve million dollars a year. Am I not a twelve million dollar man? No, Matt, you can't blame him for that, but you also can't blame the fans for turning on him. If he had gone to the minor leagues last year, if he had if he had accepted the demotion and went down and and made an honest effort to try to improve himself, he would have been cut all the slack in the world. He might still be here today. He might even be better than he was. You know, but but because I, he, he I, chose... I can't I can't argue with that, but at the same time I, I have to say I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue, but I'm going to argue because I don't feel like I feel like at least Perez can turn to Mets fans and say, "I gave you guys two, maybe a little over two and two years that are good." And Castillo can turn to Mets fans and say, "I gave you nothing." Oh, I agree with and that. that <laughs> and that's to me where I say, where I say, yeah, Luis Perez was a great thing. Now we can actually put a, a useful arm in the bullpen. But at the end of the day, when you compare him to Castillo, there is no comparison. Luis Castillo did nothing for this organization except potentially, you can make the argument, make Jose Reyes lazy. That's the only thing I blame Luis Castillo for. Outside of <laughs> no, well, sucking. <laughs> and the other, the other thing with it, Matt, and... and this is my last point on, on both of those guys. I think the two of them were just such a negative cloud over the team and the organization was not going to move forward with them on the team, no matter what they gave you. I mean, Castillo, we can both agree. All of us can agree. Castillo was a waste of space. We disagree a little bit on Perez, but he had such a negative connotation to this team. And he was such a link to all of the failures of the last five years that he had to go just for that reason. Don't you think? No, absolutely. I completely agree in, in that he had to go. I just feel that, you know, it's unfortunate the way it broke down for him uh, because he was so good for this team. That team would not have been where they were in 2007 without him. I mean, granted, yeah. like, to be to be able to turn around and say, oh, my God, 2007, remember, remember when that was awesome? It, it's, it's really sad, but it's true. Remember when 2007 was awesome and hope reigned supreme? Do you remember that? Because I do. I do. And right do. now it's miserable. But, I, but, would, I would pay my left eye for 2007 right now. And that's your good eye. And that's my good eye. That's, that's, I, I'm a lefty. <laughs> Maddie, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Uh, or, or I got to bring this up, though. I got to bring this up. Who pitched on the last day of the season in 2007? No, you're right, but that wasn't his fault. Who gave up a two-run home run after Beltron gave them the lead? I, I, I'm, yes. so, I'm sorry. So that was that was 2008. 2007 was Glavin. Oh, it was Glavin, yeah. right. I'm sorry, yeah. Yes. 2008. Glavin was 2008. Either, either way. Either way, he took the ball in 2008 on the last day of the season and gave up a two-run home run to uh, uh, Wes Helms uh, to tie the game or have them go. Whatever. He's gone. I, and after, I would the make symbol the of abject. I'd make the argument that 2008 was the end. Was the end right. of the of whatever Oliver Perez had left. I mean, that guy pitched his heart out in Pittsburgh, and he was fantastic in Pittsburgh. 
And then we, we took a chance on him, and you know what? In my opinion, I still think it was a good chance. Now, granted that contract was a bad contract, and he, you know, he overstayed his welcome, needless, needless to be mentioned. But <laughs> the bottom line yeah, here no, is that... He had more value than Castillo, and that's where I get irritated. But the interesting point here, and I think probably the most interesting point to both Jose Reyes and David Wright, is who gets blamed next? They don't well, win this year. That's the thing, right. That's the thing, right. It's going to be on Reyes, and it's going to be on Wright. And you know what? Wright's still under contract, and Reyes is going to be a free agent. So you know who's going to get the blame? Yeah, Reyes. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. No, but here's the thing, and Vaccaro wrote about that today. Like your two scapegoats are gone, and and what I saw this a lot all over the place too. Like who are the Mets fans gonna blame next for the problem? I, I I'll say who I'm gonna blame next for the problems if they have a losing season, and that's their owners. And I will continue to blame their owners as long as they own the team. But because you could have a great front office, which I think they do. You have a, a front office that's moving in the right direction that recognizes that those two guys were a symbol of the abject failure of the previous administration and something they got killed for, the idea that they recognized that the fans didn't want to see those two guys come north. I mean, Alderson said, I don't, you know, I understand the fans don't want to see those guys. We're going to take that into account. You know, which he got killed for just three days after the media said, there's no way you can bring those guys north. But all that being said, the failure is the owner's. Maddie, as long as those two, as long as that family owns this team, th- th- there's going to be no forward progress. None. Well, you know what? I, I like to believe, as of right now, that they've actually given Alderson the ability to overcome them. I, I like to believe that right now, as a Mets fan, as an optimistic Mets fan who thinks this team can actually perform this year. I think I'm one of the few people that thinks this team might be able to surprise some people this year. And I do too. The idea that if Alderson is in control, they probably are in pretty good hands. And, you know, outside of the second base situation, you look around the horn with a healthy Beltran, that's a pretty damn good lineup. And if you get if you get Chris Young and Capuano to, to produce the way they have so far this spring, where is your problem? Where is your problem? Your bullpen? Bullpens are crapshoot all around the league. I'm just saying I trust in Alderson. I like where he's taking the team. I like the route he's gone. And they've now officially gotten rid of everything that's pissed me off about Manaya and they've, they're, they're on their way to something different. Whether or not it's good will remain to be seen, but they're on their way in a, in a different direction, at least as, as Alderson said in his initial press conference, putting them in a situation where they have the opportunity to win. That's all you can do as a general manager. Where you're hearing. Obviously, you watched some of the spring training games. Uh, can you give us yeah. any nuggets or things to look forward to that maybe the papers aren't really writing about? I wish I could say there was anything to look forward to that the papers aren't writing about except the bullpen. I mean, really? the, the second base... You're surprised second, by what you're seeing? I am... Very happy so far with what I've been seeing out of the bullpen. If Isringhausen's arm doesn't fall off and and everyone else has been performing the way they have, the Mets could have a surprisingly good bullpen this year. I, I'm very, very optimistic about the way the bullpen was built. I think, as I think most people do, that bullpens aren't built by signing established middle believe, middle relievers for long periods. I period totally of time. agree. I just, I just don't think that's the way they've been built. 
I think that's the way they should be built, and that's not the way they will be built. Absolutely, I totally agree. I'm sorry. I think Alderson, Alderson totally gets it. Alderson understands from his years out in Oakland and his years in San Diego that you don't make a bullpen by signing high-priced middle relievers. That's just not what you do. Well, what about the scuttlebutt, Matty, about uh, this idea that, you know, they're going to be a $70 million payroll next year, and, uh, you know, Alderson has come here to run a small market team. I mean, do you buy any of this? I mean, I I buy that they're going to have restrictions, financial restrictions. I think think you're kind of blind if you think that they're not going to have financial restrictions. But to think it's going to be a $70 million payroll, I mean, to me, that's a bit, that's a bit extreme. Yeah, yeah they're, I, probably I, I not, they're probably not going to be throwing out a $120 million payroll. Right. But they're, they're not going to be sitting at 70. No, I, to, I totally agree with that. And, and, and that sort of infuriated me because it was one comment that Alderson made about how, well, yeah, we'd like to run the budget at a, you know, a, a, a lower a payroll threshold because you know they have 140 to 150 million dollars spent right now and it's spent poorly. You know, and basically what he was trying to say is there's a wise way to spend it and there's a crappy way to spend it. So we're going to try to spend it in the wise way. And if our payroll is 100 million dollars, let's make sure we're spending it correctly. Agreed. And I think that's that's where he's that's where he his small market experience is going to pay off. They're gonna right. they're gonna be able to go out and they're gonna be able to get a guy like a Scott Harrison who right now people are like oh who gives a crap about Scott Harrison but let me tell you something in about three weeks everyone's gonna give a crap about Scott Harrison <laughs> when right. when, when Beltran's still not playing and Harrison's Harrison's producing the seven or the eight hole you're gonna give a crap about Scott Harrison you're gonna give a pap, give a crap about the the draft and you know it's not the first round draft picks that are gonna come out and and be your winners. I mean, yeah, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're going to be, you know, the, long, the young lefty like Matt who's going to, you know, blow out his arm and then you got to wait a couple of years for him. But, you know, maybe it's the guy like Lucas Duda that's going to turn around and, and actually be a productive major leaguer. You don't know what's going to happen. So the, the focus on the draft and the focus on not blowing all their resources on a high-priced free agent that in two, three years might be over the hill is probably a good focus. Although, that being said, if they want to go after Apple Fools, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> You're okay with that? Yeah, I'm a little okay with that. You can sign that guy to he's at 150, and I'd be okay with that. Right. Now, I think we have uh, – Cal, are you back? Oh, I thought we had Cal back. Dr. Rira, I thought we had Cal back. What happened? Hey, what happened? No, no, can you hear me? Uh, oh, there we are. There's Cal. All right, we're all, we're all back, Matty. Look at the, oh, the wonder. Ah, uh, look at that. I'm so happy to so bring the family back together. <laughs> we're putting the band back together. <laughs> Cal, you, Cal, what do you got? You what are you got doing? I was crying. <laughs> Cal, what do you got for Matty? Uh, Matt, uh, with Castillo gone now, who do you think is going to take the second base spot on opening day? Interesting question. Who do I think or who do I want? Which one did you ask? <laughs> I want. I want to know both. Right. Okay. Who do I think? I think it's going to be Emas, and I think it's because De Podesta has a humongous, pardon my expression, hard on for the guy. I mean, I don't doubt that he's going to be a good hitter, and he'll probably be just as good of a hitter as Murphy. 
but probably not this year. So what I think they're going to end up doing is they're going to start off the season with Murphy in the utility role. But Emouse is going to struggle, and then you're going to end up seeing Murphy as a second baseman for a little bit. At this point, personally, I understand the need to keep the kid because he's a you know he's a rule fiver, and if you don't keep him on the major league roster, he goes away. And right. basically, he's useless as a bench player. So the bottom line is you're probably going to have to start him. You're probably going to have Murphy as, you know, you're probably going to go righty-lefty with the two of them. At least that's what I'd like to see. But for right. me, Murphy's the way to go. There's no reason not to. You're telling me if you can get a guaranteed, and, you know, this might be a bit of a strong way to put it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Guaranteed 10 to 20 home run hitter hitting about 270, driving in about 60 to 70 RBIs from the second base position. You won't take that hand down? I would. I would, too, and I think that's Daniel Murphy. Yeah, and I, I think, you I know, mean, for for a year you live with the defense. I mean, for a year, if he can't turn a double play, he can't turn a double play. You know, I mean, he'll he'll learn eventually or he'll get hurt. But, I mean, I think for, for a year you live with the defense. You know, and you try I, to figure out if if Reese, if Reese Havens comes along and can play the position in two, uh, in a year or two, or you know, you, or you try to draft the second baseman. Or, or, but I I can live with Murphy there, and I certainly like Murphy in that lineup. You know, and then uh, in the late innings, I'm bringing the Hugh kid in. Who the Hugh kid? That's right. <laughs> well, I I agree. There's no there's no reason not to start Murphy, except for exactly. the fact that D Pod loves. And at the end of the day, you don't want to lose this kid. And if if he's going to be the next Dan Ugla or even the next Aaron Hill, you don't want to lose the kid. I mean, I agree. That is is totally worth the investment. So let the kid play some days. Let Murphy play some days. And I think what we're really staring at is a platoon. Yeah, and and, and what's wrong with the platoon? I remember a platoon in 86 that worked out pretty well. Worked out fine for me. Exactly. All right, Maddie, let's, uh, we're going to wrap you up here. Uh, sorry about all the technical difficulties, uh, difficulties, but thank you for carrying the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, do it again, fellas. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll definitely catch up with you on netzilla.com uh, where you're writing stuff, uh, uh, Caught Looking, which we we all love. The Caught Looking t-shirts will be out there soon enough. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're working on them right now. It's a bunch of eyes <laughs> staring at a bunch of boobs. That's what we operate as. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff, though. It's, it's good to see you on there, uh, Maddie. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you when the season starts, pal. All right, gentlemen. I'll talk to you guys soon enough. And uh, in the meantime, if anything happens with uh, Castillo and some bad luck, you know who to play. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. right so, Matt, later. So, uh, Matt from uh, MetZilla.com, uh, doing a great job. We had all kinds of technical difficulties uh, during that interview, guys. Uh, but uh, we'll fix that in post. I'm sure I can. I got an awesome set of tools. I'm sure I can fix that, without a doubt. Uh, but he 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 brought up some uh, some excellent points to me. He brought up the points about uh, with the Metropolitans about those two guys being gone and moving on. And uh, I I think what we saw this week was some reporting uh, in the newspapers and whatnot that was a little suspect when it came to the Mets. And there was a little revisionist history that went on with Luis Castillo, uh, you know, and, and there was an article by Andy Martino that particularly drew our ire uh, where he talked about, um, you know, how, well, Castillo plays hard and he plays hurt. And uh, why is he the subject of ridicule from Mets fans? Uh, and, you know, may, maybe it's because he stinks. 
So, Cal, you know, you read the papers. We've seen this a lot, and, and we wanted to talk about this more in depth. We probably won't have time, so we'll just touch on it. But is the is the negativity surrounding this team uh, in the newspapers and in the, in the print media, is it driving you towards blogs? Because it's driving me towards blogs. It's driving me towards not reading the paper. Well, every beat writer that's that's uh, that's around this team. I shouldn't say every beat writer, but for the most part, the beat writers have just taken such a negative angle towards the Mets. You know, I we yeah we get it, we get it. They've had a lot of bad things go on over the last five years. Okay, you know you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that happens daily with the Mets has to be negative. And it's just it's it's infuriating. Well, earlier tonight I got into a little uh, little scuttlebutt with uh, a, a reporter from Newsday, uh, just going back and forth on Twitter and stuff, and it, and it seemed that he was rankled by the fact that I took him to task for uh, basically being negative every day about you know and and blurring the line and 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 Ev, you've seen this a little bit. There's there's a line blurred between reporting and tweeting. Okay, and he, he sort of shot back at me and said, you know, I provide opinion and I provide news reporting. Well, which one is which? And if you're giving me your opinion while you're tweeting, okay, I'm allowed to take issue with that. All right, so tell me when you're reporting and tell me when you're giving your opinion when you're tweeting because your opinion is nothing but negative about the team. Well, it's interesting because this whole new social media thing has basically thrust all of these reporters into a new situation. They have to defend themselves. They've never had to do this before. They, they're used to sitting kind of behind their computer. They could say whatever they want. They could do whatever they want, yet they're not used to people responding literally the minute they click it in um, to what they have to say. And I'll tell you what, I don't think a lot of them are prepared for it. I totally agree with that, and I think that's sort of the problem. That's what I tried to explain to this particular reporter, that the buffer is gone. You know, it used to be that you can just, you know, uh, sort of uh, write for the paper and I would read it the next day and I would have no, you know, uh, no recourse. Even if it was an opinion piece, I would just sort of accept it as this is what, you know, is going on with my team because I don't know any better. Now I have blogs, I have social media, I have, I can check what's going on with the mess like every minute of the day. Every minute of the day in spring training. And when you're uh, a beat reporter and you're especially a print beat reporter, Okay, the line between opinion and news is blurred, and you're able to put your spin on it on Twitter. And this happened with the Castillo situation uh, where, you know, people writing about how it was uh, – or tweeting about how it was mean of them to put him in the lineup and then cut him two hours later. Are you kidding? It's a spring training game. Who cares? Who cares? And and you know, is there? Uh, oh, should they have checked in with him? They might hurt his feelings. He's making six million dollars. Uh, who cares? You know. And so that was reported on like it was a story. Yeah. Now it's you know, the other thing that I was talking to you about earlier tonight, Steve, is that these writers, they their job is to generate a reaction, right? They want yep. to generate a reaction, and then when they get the reaction that they set out to get, they get their, they get their backup, and, and they have to defend themselves. So you can't have it both ways. Yeah, no, that that seemed to be the case in this particular instance. And, and 
Yeah, I, I just I found it, you know, Andy Martino from the Daily News, uh, his article about Castillo and, and how it might have been racist that Met fans uh, had some, you know, Met fans didn't like the guy because he stunk. Oh, yeah, he dropped the pop-up, and then he answered questions the next day. Well, what, do you want, a cookie? Congratulations. And then the next time he had a pop-up into him at second base, did he use two hands? No, he didn't. I can tell you right now, he did not use two hands. So what did he learn? He learned nothing. You know, I, I just, I, look, I understand it's a tough job to be a, a baseball player or an athlete, professional athlete in New York City. I get that. It's hard. It's harder than it is in other cities. I get it. There's more scrutiny. There's 50 newspaper guys. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Zach Greinke, right? He'd never be able to fit in here. But, you know, the newspaper guys have to do a better job of, Saying what is reporting, Carlos Beltran went one for eight today in a spring training game, or Carlos Beltran played in a glorified softball game today. Well, uh, that's your opinion, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just. Uh... Well, maybe it's just us, Steve. Maybe maybe people ha- don't have a problem with it, and and we're the we're the ones that have the problem. I don't think yeah. it is, Cal. I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, you know, uh, th- this this tweeting that I had going back and forth with this particular reporter, uh, somebody chimed in and sort of, I guess, to my defense, although I, I, I think I did okay, but, uh, you know, I, and I basically said at the end of the day, look, I, I, I respect your work, and uh, it's sports. You know, like we always say on this show, it's not news, it's not, I mean, it's not politics, it's not religion or anything, it's sports. You know, it's entertainment, it's, an, it's a diversion. You know, people shouldn't be going uh, at each other's throats. But this other person said, you know, most Mets fans already know it's going to be a down year. Okay? They don't need to be reminded of it by the beat reporters every 10 minutes. Yeah, and they don't need to be reminded by the beat reporters every 10 minutes that the Wolpons are in trouble. We get it. Right. You know, I I don't know. Draw the line. Draw the line between opinion and, and news reporting. Do me a favor. Put the news reporting in print in the paper, and save the uh, opinionizing uh, for Twitter. That's fine. We can do that. But they don't. No, and they probably won't. Now, Dr. E. Ray, you don't have any of these problems uh, because you're a Yankee fan. So everything's... everything's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? You guys know pretty well, you know, having, you know, re- read all the papers. You You stay on top of the Yankees, even though you're not fans of them. I mean, as soon as the first thing goes wrong, I mean, you're going to start, you know, uh, the the you know what hits the fan and, and it explodes and then you get the same type of treatment. It's just in a different way, you know, the same kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look at look at the scrutiny that uh, A Rod uh, endures. Look at what happened with Jeter, and now you know they 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 try to start many controversies with the Yankees too. No doubt. I mean, the the move out of the leadoff spot, for example. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the bottom line is that the I think the the media today now it has has this whole vast uh you know array of ways to to get information to us and they haven't figured out yet exactly how to do it without uh you know a offending people or b pushing it to be a little to, to be edgy and i think they're not sure exactly how to do it right now well that's what was confusing to me you know we were talking about it uh, uh earlier today and saying it's or, or and the other day too with the nick article where i i jumped off the 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 ledge of saying, oh, it's reactionary, it's nonsense, they're running Carmelo out of town, when I actually, like, read the article that Dr. Ira had sent to us, and I said, oh, wait, you're right, this article is correct. Uh, but I'm so, I, I have my guard so up 
uh, about uh, the, the, the print media, especially about being negative about the teams in New York. But I, I think the the other thing about it is that is this driving, and this was sort of my my other point, is this driving you more towards uh, getting your information on your teams from blogs, from blog sites, because there's something about the idea that if somebody's going to be negative about my team, at least I know this person's a fan. Right. Yeah, but it's interesting, though, because that's the way all news is reported now. You go to CNN, it's all opinion. You, you, you go to uh, the, the sports team blogs, and again, it's all opinion, even, even the main articles. So it, it's weird. There's very few places to kind of get unbiased sports opinions anymore. It's, so in my opinion, I think Cal probably agrees, yeah, I'm getting my stuff from the blog just because I'm more interested in it. Yeah, I I, I want to read from a fan because I'll I'll take, like Steve said, I want to take a fan's opinion over, over a beat writer's opinion because a beat writer always feels like he's got an agenda, you know? He's always trying to push an agenda, push the next story that he's already planning on writing by setting it up with this story. And, I, and it just it, it sits wrong with me. I'd rather... You know, I'd rather hear from caught looking. If he wants to be negative about Castillo, that's fine. At least I know he's going to be. You know, I don't. I don't need to hear that from a beat writer. Yeah, I think you know one of the interesting things uh, that happened to me, guys, was when I I, I was uh, sort of going at it with uh, Joel Sherman uh, about his article about the Mets cutting it down to seventy million dollars, and then he wrote the uh, the payroll down to seventy million dollars, and then he wrote the ridiculous article where he dug up the story about David Wright longing and pining for another. Clubhouse and how? Tell me again, Joel, the show, the story of how the Yankees and the Red Sox clubhouse is. Oh, tell me again. You know, ridiculous. Like David Wright was at his knee, like a babe. Uh, oh, tell me again how often they have it. Uh, he wrote these stories, and I was sort of going back and forth with him. It was that, you know, I I was talking to a particular blogger that we know that's a huge Mets fan, and and he said, boy, that's fine. I can't remember the last time I read a Joel Sherman article. You know, now, Joel Sherman writes every day. And he's like, I can't remember the last time I even bothered. I, I know my brother doesn't, you know, stopped reading Samini for the Jets, just absolutely stopped reading him in the paper every day. Now, this was before he went to ESPN New York. Rich Samini covered the New York Jets for years for the New York Daily News and, and was one of the more negative guys you would ever see. Like, people were, used to write into Samini all the time and be like, are you sure you even like this team? Like, don't you have to like them a little bit to cover them? No, no, but Steve, that's the point. They don't have to like them. That's a job to them. And they, and they will be the first one to tell you that I'm not a fan. It's my job. And when you become, when you become a professional in the sports world, in the media, you, you cut all of your ties from a fan perspective. That's, that's what everyone will tell you. That's fine. But, Cal, does that mean you have to actively dislike the team? Yeah, you know why? Because that's what generates the reaction. That's what gets, that's what gets people's, you know, that's what got you back and forth with a reporter on Twitter today. You know, he pushed your buttons, and now he's got you following him. And now you're into it with him, and you're going to go back and forth with him. You're not going to ignore him. He's certainly not being ignored anymore, you know? So he got a reaction. That's, that's true, but I, I think the more and more that that happens, especially in the print media, which is a dying medium anyway, Right. Well, the more and more that, at that point. right, the more and more you're pushing people towards blogs because they're out there. I can get all the med information I want from a guy that I know, uh, or a girl, 
uh, you know, Jane McManus, who does a great job covering the Jets. Uh, but uh, from somebody I know, at least has a vested interest in the team and is not just going to trash them to sell papers. Right. That's when it drives you crazy. Like, you know, we talked about it a million times, Cal. There's yellow journalism and then there's lazy journalism. You know, my brother used to say that Samini has a, a, an article every uh, – that, that, uh, the same old Jet article, that's on autotype. Like, he just – he picks up one version of it, changes the dates and the teams involved, and he prints it every year. They all know, got that same article. Yeah, it's, it's just lazy. Well, look, I'm upset. I'm upset that uh, we had some technical difficulties, but we're professionals. We rise above it. Let's be like Nigel Tufnell, all right? It does bother me. But nothing. You guys ever see Spinal Tap? I, I can't. Is this thing on? <laughs> it goes to a <laughs> we will. Uh, we will certainly uh, be speaking to Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to write a letter um, next week and, and figure out what happened with Skype. Uh, I think we just lost the Skype connections, guys. Uh, but it happens, and uh, let's move past it. And I would love to do a uh, Doctor is in uh, segment here as we uh, get towards the end of the show. What do you think? Who's with me? I'm ready. Can I get a name in? Let's let's not, let's separate uh, you know church and state here, would Tim? <laughs> All right, well uh, take us through it, Doctor Ray. All right, uh, the Isles beat the Lightning tonight, five to two. Thirty-first goal for Grabner uh, Montoya, another fantastic game. I see your Islander shirt, Steve. Very nice. So my question for you guys is: DiPietro came back, looked good. What's the ceiling for this team next year, Cal? The feeling for the team next year? No, the ceiling. Tell me, tell me what. Uh, oh, the see, ceiling. What's the best you can expect for this team next year? Yep. Next year, they, they, I can expect them to make the playoffs next year. They're going to add another uh, top ten pick in the draft. You're going to have the development. No, you don't think so? I, th- I, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm with you. Oh, okay, I'm, somebody's shaking their head. I can't. I thought maybe <laughs> someone was disagreeing with me. Um, all I, I just want them to make the playoffs. That's all. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Cal, though. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Sorry, I just wanted to get one sticky moment in. Considering all, oh, the, technical, <laughs> considering all the technical difficulties we've had, I just wanted to get a little stick in. Look, I, I, I agree with Cal wholeheartedly. They have uh, Calvin DeHaan coming up. They have Nino Niederreiter. Uh, they have a lot of talented young guys, uh, guys who are having good years in juniors that they're going to add to the equation. They're going to add a top ten pick. Maybe they found something with Al Say Hello Montoya. <laughs> you kill my father, prepare to die. Uh, which, by the way, how are they not playing that at the Coliseum when he makes a big save? How, how are they not playing? It. Nobody would get it? So nobody's seen the Princess Bride is what you're telling me. I don't think so. Oh man! I just recently watched. I just recently, I just I was just recently at the Coliseum, and I agree with Cal. They may not get it. Well, I'm completely dating myself. Uh, and but look, they might have found a goalie in Al Montoya, and uh, I, I think that there's a lot of talent there. You watched Tavares uh, this year sort of grow up before your own eyes. They uncovered Grabner. I think they're going to be a competitive team next year. I think they definitely compete for a playoff spot. Who's the starter? You- Day one next year, who gets the most games next year? Is it Montoya or DiPietro? 
I'm not even sure DiPietro's with the team. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know if there's I, – I, I really don't. I, I don't know if they find a way to cut ties with him. I know that would make Cal uh, get up and dance. I don't know if they cut ties with him or, or if there's a way to buy him out of that contract. or uh, It just hasn't worked out with DiPietro. And there was an article the other day that his dog got hit by a car. Did you see this? DiPietro's bulldog. bulldog or something got hit by a car or whatever. Like it just uh, has uh, not. Tread, tread, tread carefully here, Steve. We don't want PETA uh, picketing us. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm saying it just it has not gone well for this guy on Long Island. Like even his dog no. is on the DL. I mean, it's it's not. It's, no, no, it's not he's, a, his dog is unfortunately uh, on the in the DL on the sky. <laughs> the big DL. Up I, there. I, I'd like to think he's actually healthy up there. <laughs> Cal likes to envision him prancing around, peeing on fire hydrants, just happy-go-lucky. Number 39, I'm back. <laughs> Look, it has not gone well for Ricky. I think Al Montoya is the starter next year, and I think Poulin's his backup. Interesting. All right, let's move on. Uh, you know, we haven't talked a lot of Yankee camp. Uh, you know, Jeter and Gardner, the, the new story out now is that they're saying Jeter and Gardner may platoon the leadoff spot, spot based on righty-lefty. Does this make any sense? Do you feel like continuity is really important when it comes to a lineup, or does it make good baseball sense here? I think it's certainly interesting. Uh, I, I don't understand at the end of the day why everything treads so lightly with Jeter with the leadoff spot. I mean, come on. Just move already. Enough. Just move. Now, I understand he's not an ideal two-hitter because he's hit into 48 double plays in the last four years. 48. He's hit into over 20, 20 double plays a year for the last four – or I'm sorry, eight, it was like 84. It was like over 20 double plays a year for the last four years. So he's not an ideal two-hitter. But what is what is the thing with him in the leadoff spot? Gardner's a better leadoff hitter. Just do it already. Okay? I don't understand. To be honest with you, as a Yankee fan, I don't get it because – he doesn't steal bases anymore. He doesn't get on base as much as he used to. Uh, why is he batting leadoff? Cal, do you, can you explain why, why Girardi is so reluctant to just make Gardner the leadoff guy here? I think, I think it's silly. I think that the lineup uh, is overrated, and people will tell you this. The lineup matters in the first inning of the game. That's it. First, first, first time around in the lineup. I think it's silly whether who, who bats first. It doesn't matter. I think Gardner is a better leadoff hitter, and he should be so the leadoff you, hitter. Do you think that's the reason why Girardi doesn't do it? Because you, you would think that Girardi makes his decisions more analytically than than other managers. He uses statistics a lot more and sabermetrics. Do you yeah, think but, that his reason is that he doesn't think it's important? Ever, ever. And he wants to give Jeter the big role? Girardi played with Jeter. That's the difference between him and a lot of managers. He played with Jeter. He has a different relationship with him. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna push the envelope with Jeter. Um, so I believe what he said. He, they they cater to him a little bit. But do you think that's a, you think Jeter would be offended by not batting leadoff? I don't, I don't know why he would. I don't. I don't think Jeter would necessarily be offended, but I don't think Girardi even wants to tempt that. Wow, I, I'm surprised by that. Um, if that's the case, because to be honest with you, I can't imagine Jeter puts batting leadoff as an important thing. I mean, you would think that he'd want to, you know, uh, you know, win games, and, uh, and I just don't think that that's important to him. But no, I, I mean, I, I like your theory though that maybe Girardi doesn't think that uh, the lineup matters. 
Yeah, I yeah, think I the other like thing, it. the other thing is that he, he's a terrible two hitter because he's hit into and I, I, I remembered it's eighty four double plays in the last <laughs> four years. Eighty four. He's hit into over twenty double plays a year for the last four years. He hits the ball hard and on the ground a lot. He's a terrible two hitter. So where's he going to bat him? Was he going to hit him ninth? You're going to hit Derek Jeter ninth? Come on now. Well, give, give me give me a Mets perspective. A, 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 you know, you have no you have no real rooting base for the Yankees here. Where should Jeter bat? Look at the lineup. Where should he bat? Not an now? RBI guy. He's not a stolen base guy. He doesn't move guys over anymore. He hits the double plays. Should he bat seven, eight, or nine in this lineup? In that lineup, um, uh, I I've always thought he should be a much better two hitter than he is. Uh, I think if he has a speedy leadoff man in front of him, then uh, like a Gardner, he's a better two-hitter because those ground balls that he hits hard in the hole, if Gardner's running, are not double plays. Okay, so I I think he's a better two-hitter with a pure base dealer hitting one. So in that particular lineup, I'm hitting Gardner one and him two. I'm going to live with it. He'll probably hit into 15 double plays, but I'm going to live with that because I can hit and run with him all day long because he hits nothing but hard ground balls. You know, so I'm going to hit and run with him all day long. Now, with the Johnny Damon there, not so much, because Johnny Damon at that time is not a base dealer. Gotcha. That's going to be interesting to see how things play out here. Let's move on. Um, Cal, the NFL recently just made a decision to to move the kickoffs back to the 35-yard line. Do the benefits potential safety improvements outweigh taking away one of the most exciting plays in football, you know, obviously the kickoff return. Do you think this is a good thing? What, what, what do you think? I, I, quite honestly, I think there's more danger on punts than on kickoffs. You know, on, think about it. On a punt, the guy is a sitting duck out there if he doesn't call for a fair catch. So I, I, don't, I don't know how much benefit you're going to get, how much safety benefit you're going to get out of it. Um, it is going to make the game a little more boring. It's certainly going to make Madden a lot more boring to play. And <laughs> <laughs> not yet discount that. But, Let me, um, can I can I jump in with a with a Madden point? Please. Did you guys did you guys see this that the Madden cover next year, the, the person on it is going to be voted on? Yes. Right. So so do you think Green Bay people like there's an active campaign to not have Aaron Rodgers be on the cover next year? <laughs> Yeah. We're still believing in the Madden jinx. Is that what's going on? I thought Drew Brees uh, broke that. That's what they're saying, though. They're saying the, the Madden, you know, the Madden cover jinx, you know, that, yeah. that I, I think Aaron Rodgers would be the logical choice if it wasn't being voted on. I think there's a don't vote Aaron campaign going uh. strongly in Green <laughs> yeah. Bay right now. Well, well Sam P, I, let me just get back to the kickoffs for one second. I have a yeah. question for you. Um, last year, the big problem was the hits across the middle. Okay, you had the linebackers, you had the wide receivers, um, the safeties, you know, that were right in on this. I can't recall one play uh, last year where a kickoff return led to a concussion. Can you? I, I can remember the, the – I, I can remember a few, uh, punt and kickoff. I can also – I think the, the, uh, the college play, the Rutgers kid, I think that was on a kickoff. But, um, but the, the, here's where they blew it to me. I think it's stupid. Uh, and here's where they blew it to me, guys. They were talking about making it uh, from the 35, but making the touchback be from the 25 instead of the 20. 
and they didn't vote that in. So to that me, that sense. was what's that? That makes sense to me because that that way, right. I mean, they're basically saying that you know if you're going to kick this you know through the end zone, which is very possible, um, you're going to be penalized five yards for it. Exactly. It basically, you know, you're going to have teams that are going to have specialists now. Uh, if I'm a good defensive football team, like the oh, let's say Jets, uh, I, I'm going to have a kickoff specialist on there now to make sure that this team, that the team I'm playing, starts every drive at the 20 yard line. And if it was would have been the 25 or maybe even the 30, I think you would have seen a lot more kickoffs go exactly where they used to go to the goal line. So you wouldn't have necessarily seen it be a uh, uh, by rote that they're going to try to kick it out of the end zone. I think now, without a doubt, you'd be like a you'd be a stooge. That's something that Andy Reid would do. <laughs> well, Cal, you know, I'm rooting for wow. the Jets that, that you do. I mean, you, you've seen uh, the Jets have struggled for a very long time to just reach the end zone here. This may be an opportunity where they actually could get a, a few kicks in the end zone. Is this, does this help a team, special teams overall? It, it, it'll, it'll help those weaker teams that, that, that you know, with, with the weaker kicker or the weaker kickoff specialist, certainly. Um, Seemingly the Jets and, every year. Yes, <laughs> it, will help, it will help the Jets. All right. Well, All right, let's it, move I, on I to the last one here. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys saw though, too, uh, with uh, apparently there's a big story coming out uh, in in the Boston Globe or one of the Boston papers that a guy sat down with Rex Ryan and uh, all kinds of stuff from Rex. So we may even have to talk about this guy next week. But uh, apparently he said something today about how Belichick sitting Wes Welker was neat and he thought it was it was really cool. Uh, that he did that, and and I, Rex, we talked about it, guys, back when the Jets lost the AFC Championship game. We we expected a little quiet. Last week, he said he's just like Babe Ruth. He wants to carry two sticks and point out to the crowd and call his shot. I I, I mean, it just well, just doesn't end. Just does not end. And by the way, uh, the I, I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the energy right now for a Rex Ryan conversation. <laughs> the other thing is the Tampa Bay Bucks are rumored to be the next Hard Knocks team. Yes, yes, I read that. So However, they're Tiki. not interested in Tiki Barber. No, no, they made they issued a statement. They're not interested in Tiki Barber. Uh, we'll right. we'll just see about that when HBO comes. Yeah, out. I think, yeah, I think Ross Greenberg might have something to say about that. Exactly. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right, let's wrap it up with the uh, – just get back to the NCAA. Which of the – which? You know, let me ask both of you guys this. Which of the double-digit seed Cinderella's has the best chance to go to the Final Four? Richmond, VCU, Butler, Marquette, or Florida State? I'll go first. I'll say uh, Richmond because I have them in the Final Four. In the, in the, in the RTU Tournament Challenge bracket, which, uh, by the way, you can go to the website and click on and see the standings. It's right above. It says NCAA Tournament Challenge right above the uh, radio box. I have Richmond you don't in the have Final to. Four. What's that? They don't have to actually look at the. They don't have to look at the standings. They can just look yeah, at no, the Yeah, we have not done well. We have not done well. I say Richmond. Cal. VCU. I think they're the hottest team right now of of the double digit seeds. Right, and of course I included Butler in there, even though they're not a double digit seed, but I, of, of, they're considered Cinderella still, right? Oh yeah, no, they're wearing the slipper, no doubt. I think they have the easiest path. I think it's. Uh, I think people just want them there so they can say that Butler did it. 
Oh, there we go. Which we've heard, which we've heard eleven times now in the last four days. <laughs> Doctor Ure is giving me the end scene side. So uh, let's bring the show to a close. Uh, a special thanks to uh, Mike Huber, Huby, uh, our NCA guy, uh, for joining us, and also to Matt. Uh, caught looking uh, from metzilla.com. Sorry about the technical difficulties, Maddie, but uh, we'll definitely have you back on real soon. We do appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Mary, final on though. <laughs> you can pan a few words, ladies and gentlemen. That broadcasting school is really paying off. Cow, final on We got a little snow heading our way in New York tomorrow, but baseball's right around the corner, so I'm excited about that. Yes, and my final one note is, uh, hey, Lennon, no hard feelings, my man, okay? Much love. You still get paid to do this tonight. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, Join us. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk NCAA. We'll talk about everything. Good night, everybody.